Hi, and welcome to the Joyful Balance podcast. You're here with your hosts. I'm Mira. I'm a neuroscientist and nutritionist, and I've got my co-host here, Denise, who is a cognitive behavioral hypnotherapist. We're here to take you on a journey to understanding your mind, your brain, and your body, and how all of these three things are interlinked. Denise has got the psychology covered. I cover the nutrition and neuroscience, and so we're going to take you um, through um, how to understand how all of these three three things are interlinked and we're on this journey with you and we're discovering all these things alongside you too. So on today's episode I'm going to let Denise take the reins um, and we're going to talk about emotions and food right and how they're all interlinked. How are you doing Denise? Absolutely. I'm I'm good. I'm actually (laughs) this is the right episode for me today. (laughs) Oh yeah? (laughs) <laughs> yes, <laughs> in the sense that after a couple of, uh, ta- of days of eating not for the right reasons, <laughs> this feels like my own episode for myself. Yeah, I, well, yeah, I hear you. I know what you mean. Yeah, so you're in good company, don't worry. <laughs> yes, how, how are you doing? How are things with yeah, you? Yeah, good. I was on holiday last week, but obviously when this episode comes out, it would be, have been much longer, um, so just getting back into the swing of things, but glad that... UK still having a heat wave, so I don't feel too sad about being home. Mm. Yes, I, I I concur. I'm uh, I'm also enjoying the the heat. So yay, we have a summer. <laughs> yeah, I know. Thank God. <laughs> yes. So yeah, I wanted to talk to to everyone today about food and about emotions, and um, maybe we would touch upon the you know nutrition side of things as well because that's just the nature of the topic. But I was just wanted to start with a question. So why do we eat? Why do you think we eat, Mira? Well, I think there's two two main reasons to my mind, why we eat. One is for nutrition, obviously, but the other is for pleasure. Um, so obviously we eat to get energy, to get um, neurotransmitters, to get vitamins and minerals that help make neurotransmitters. Um, and we also eat for enjoyment because food should be enjoyed. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, that's absolutely spot on. Um, we We would focus a little bit more today on the side of food and enjoyment and emotions and pleasure uh, rather than the nutrition side because Mira has a spectacular episode all about that and uh, she will she will share with us in the, our next episode a lot of it but for today I am just thinking to to maybe you know demystify a little bit about emotional eating because sometimes it tends to have this bad reputation that something is wrong with you if you are eating because of your emotions yeah and i wanted to ask you as you know you're just here my little guinea pig but you guys listening just ask yourselves have you ever eaten when you were bored oh 100% like it can still happen now like all the yeah i think when i'm like when I'm trying to settle down and do a piece of work that I don't really want to do, or I just don't really want to sit down and focus, I find that I'll be like, okay, well, if I get like a snack or something from the fridge, then that will make me sit down and actually sit at my computer and do something useful. Yeah. Um, so that's tends to be, yeah, when I'm most likely, I think, to eat out of boredom. But yeah, I absolutely do do that. Mm. 
Yes, and I would like to say that uh, boredom is just one of them. Yep. Absolutely just one of them. Um, another one that uh, Mira just was touching upon is uh, procrastination. It's like, yep. it goes hand in hand. Is What if I just had this beautiful, you know, cup of tea with some biscuits and then I will go into whatever I need to be doing? Well, if you're like me, many biscuits later, you're still there. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and I just wanted to, to touch on these things because there's nothing wrong with you if you do that. Uh, now, in all seriousness, there, there isn't a... Um, an imbalance necessarily that is triggering you to do that. Food is such a, um, has such a strong connection to who we are and how we were brought up and the culture we come from and how we have been, um, you know, educated since we were little to consider food. So if you think about some uh, cultures, most of them out there will give you a sweet treat as your birthday. Uh, you've graduated from, I don't know, your first grade in school and uh, you've done something good. And then food also becomes the lack of, not necessarily food, but uh, treats becomes the punishment. Oh, you've been naughty. You haven't been you know, taking the best grades in school or you haven't done X or Y. Therefore, something that you really, really want as a, as a child gets taken away from you because that's a, in a way, a punishment. Yeah. And what I have seen with, with, uh, with a lot of my clients and with myself included is that even to this day, as an adult, I see food as, as reward. And I was wondering if you could, Mira, give us a very short snap as to what happens with our body or our brain when, when you know, the food we eat is literally touching those <laughs> pleasure centers. Yeah, so in your brain, you've got um, areas in your brain that register uh, reward and the, pleasure, the sense of pleasure when you receive a reward. And that can be a reward in a classic sense of like you go out and buy a new handbag because you've got a promotion at work or it can be that you buy yourself something some new beauty thing um in the shops because you've had a hard day um but also it can um it can be activated by food too and it relies on a very key neurotransmitter called dopamine which is what helps you feel that sense of pleasure and reward. That's the neurotransmitter that signals to your brain that, hey, you're receiving a reward. Mm -hmm. So obviously, you know, when you're um, when you're eating pleasurable foods, you're absolutely activating those pathways. And I do talk about this in a different episode, but essentially what, what can happen is that your brain can become desensitized to dopamine. Mm -hmm. So because you're constantly getting these rewards, your brain cells are shutting down to the message of dopamine to try and regulate the amounts of dopamine that that's constantly being pinged off. And as a result, you're needing more and more like stimulation, more and more reward to get that same hit of dopamine to feel that sense of reward. So it's, it's kind of a little bit in the same way as you, one can imagine um, addictions of any kind, you know, like anything that is rewarding, it, it's essentially the same thing is happening. Um, so that's kind of the key things to bear in mind. So it's, what's, I think what I got across in that episode that I'll, I'll repeat here is like, 
there's nothing wrong with you it's not your quote-unquote fault Mm -hmm. Um, these are really natural instinctive and very very powerful forces at play and it's just about understanding them and how else you can activate those same areas to feel a reward that aren't necessarily food related and still really healthy for you Mm -hmm. um yeah and then the last thing I will say is you know certain foods are geared uh, and are made because they really hit on those pleasure centers so for example foods that are high in salt fat sugar are really great at activating um the pleasure centers in your brain which is why they are so pleasing to eat um so again it's it's literally the food has been made to hit these reward areas which is what makes them so enticing but there are other ways that you can activate these pleasure centers and we can always come back to this at a later point but i'll let denise carry on yeah thank you that's 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 very interesting because what uh, what you what people normally experience is that this let's stay with an example of a of a treat you know you eat your dinner and every dinner you have a piece of cake let's say mm-hmm. right at the end um as as Mira was pointing out at some point that dopamine release just gets not recognized as powerful as it is by the body so basically you will end up getting maybe two pieces of cake because one is not so much rewarding anymore it's like meh did I really have it and then you might end up on a slippery slope where you see yourself finding desserts or maybe any other thing crisps popcorn it doesn't have to be a dessert something that you associate as a treat and you're having more of it and because you're having more of it you are thinking to yourself, oh, I'm bad. Oh, I've had so much of X, Y, and Z. I shouldn't have it. And then the all or nothing good, bad food comes into play as well for some people where they see some foods as good, some foods as bad. And if they had a bad food, i.e. cake, let's say, then they are bad. And that, unfortunately, my dear friends, opens up the cycle of viciousness because the more you think I've done something bad, the more your emotions take over. And if you're not really in touch with your emotions, you might feel maybe a little bit angry or sad or you're not very happy at that particular time. And you know food is historically something that used to make you happy. Therefore, you will want more of it. Yeah, and And you get the guilt as well and... Exactly. And the guilt kicks in. And then you, uh, as as Mira was explaining to us earlier, your dopamine centers are, you know, not up and running as they should be normally, constantly. So then you want more of it. And then it continues to be into this vicious circle. And I just wanted to say that it is possible to break the vicious circle. And Yes, we call it sometimes emotional eating because it is linked to the emotions, but it doesn't always have to be called in this way. Yeah, I, I think it uh, it definitely gets stigmatized. I think from perspective of someone lacking self control, and it's just not that black and white, and it's not about someone's mastery over their own behavior, but it's just that you know things are working against them as it were you know no I think no one chooses to you know when they're having difficult um 
you know, whether it's they're bored or they're feeling sad or they're lonely or stress, all of these things can trigger us to eat, right? Because oh. um, we want to feel better. But that doesn't, I don't think it's helpful to talk to class as an emotional eater because it doesn't, it doesn't really explain the whole situation for that person very fairly. And it's just, I think there's just, it's just a lot of stigma attached to it, which is just unhelpful. Oh. So, I mean, personally, in the circles that I sit in, I don't ever speak about being, I don't ever give a label or would, would be appreciate a label of emotional eater as it were, because we all eat. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It's irrespective of our emotions or not. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a, it's an unhelpful term, I think. I don't know how you feel about it. I feel exactly the same. It's it's showcasing such a small facet of that individual of that person and yet again we all eat and we all have emotions some of us might not be in touch of our emotions we might might not be aware of them they might influence us but we are not aware of it because you know uh, emotional dissociation and trauma responses and many other reasons why yeah, but that doesn't mean we don't have emotions, and it doesn't mean that we don't eat. Yeah. So if you think about us humans as uh, you know primitive beings, we always seek pleasure and pain. And I think what I was trying to say at the beginning of this episode is the fact that sometimes we associated food with the pure pleasure of it, celebratory, happy, and but we also associated with pain in the quote-unquote pain as in hunger. So mm-hmm. if you're feeling a little bit pain, what I mean here is hunger, you go and you eat. Therefore, you have the pleasure of the substance and the food and the drink. And once the emotions become involved, we avoid some painful emotions, let's say anger, sadness, despair, grief, and we try to find the pleasure and for sometimes not the right reasons, we go to food because that's what we primitively know as it will, you know, stifle the pain. Mm-hmm. Have Have you come across people who have this type of uh, maybe relationship to food in, in your uh, private practice? Near it here? happens. I think it happens quite a lot. Like, you know, um, even even if I talk about myself specifically, definitely boredom is a big trigger for me, but also sometimes certain aspects like, uh, you know certain stressful events not not specific stressful events but there's just a certain level of stress that seems to make me eat more and then when I go past that it makes me eat less um because I'm that at that point I'm probably just anxious but it, it's it's so common it's so so common I could not even yeah put a figure on it it, it, it I see it very routinely mm-hmm. I imagine when you do in your work too right yes I, I tend to work with uh, with people who struggle with weight management anyways and they they turn to me and uh, we we have uh, you know sessions about uh, their relationship to food and things but what i realize most often than not it is about habits and it is about learned behavior yeah. and habits that have happened you know during the course of that individual and I don't um I don't link so much of the emotional connection to food because eliminating the emotional connection to food is like we would not be humans anymore. 
we yeah. will always have an emotional connection to food because that's just how we are wired. But I'm trying to focus more on on the habits and on the associations that people have. And as you were saying about the reward system, normally what I'm trying to to do with people who are associating reward and pleasure just with food, I ask them to go on a journey of experimenting what else they can reward themselves with. Yeah. Like you were saying, the bag, or it could be something like a a bubble bath, a manicure, uh, going out for a run with your dog. It doesn't have to be... Food related. Food related, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yes. And it is a matter of taking the choice of behaving in a certain way w- without necessarily acting on the impulse. Because let's be honest, we are all sitting there in front of the TV or you know Netflix or whatever else. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to do the work we need to do because <laughs> we're humans. Yep. And then we end up going like, oh, let's have a crisp. And then after a bag of crisps, you're still there having a crisp. Yeah. <laughs> but that is an impulse, isn't something that you plan your life around. Yeah. And, and I, think, I think this whole idea of like activating your reward system without necessarily engaging in the eating side of it is actually really important. And, and I agree that it's much more about habits. And it's not that you have to constantly ignore the impulse mm. to eat it's just about making really conscious choices about what you eat what and when you eat and why you're eating um it's that yeah are kind of the three key things aren't they so I think all, always like it's always about you know I think in the habit building aspect of like wondering well how do I do that when I'm sitting on the couch and like or I'm at my desk at work and I'm kind of a bit peckish it's just to take a second and pause and think, yeah. why do I want this snack? What am I eating for? Um, like, am I really, am I actually hungry or am I bored or am I stressed or whatever? And then in that microsecond of pausing to really interrogate that feeling, you can then think, okay, well, if it's that I'm bored and I'm at work or whatever, can I go up? Can I stretch my legs for five minutes? Mm-hmm. Can I go and speak to a coworker? and catch and find out with them how their day's going or can I you know uh do whatever it is that in that five minute space that kind of gives you space to think about whether it is that you do need to engage in these habits and what else you can do and I think when you start that five that that micro pause it just makes it easier for you to think through before you act because also in a previous episode we had talked about your prefrontal cortex which is like your decision maker it's uh where you you inhibit your impulses it takes a little bit longer to kick in than your like your older centers which are much more geared around your emotions and immediate reactions is centered so to give time for your to give basically space for your brain to actually think through an action it's really important to give that micro pause mm, yes we we mentioned micropause, I think, almost in all of the episodes we've ever done, guys. Yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> we we really want to encourage you to take that second minute, whatever it is, however long it is for you, just to get it into your normal uh, practice because that's it's so valuable and yeah. it's so disregarded sometimes because it doesn't feel huge enough. So if you're talking to to people who you know, may have been labeled as emotional eaters in the past in the wrongful way because we just agreed we don't like this label at all. 
and you're telling them they have to change, their imagination is that everything has to completely change. Yeah. Versus what we are trying to advocate here is that this little pause, this uh, uh, coming back to the present moment, this interrogation, this, uh, you know, becoming your own uh, detective and expert on yourself. Yep. It's actually tiny compared to, you know, huge changes, but it has such a sustainable way of pushing you forward. Because you can start with it with food. Let's say food is the one that you think you might have a quote-unquote problem with. Then if you do that and you've, lay, you've mastered it, then you're going to think, oh, maybe this is the same for when I'm very angry and I impulsively react. Well, you can Absolutely. do the same thing. Yeah, 100%. Or when you are um, you know, in a situation at work where your boss has told you something that really hurts your feelings and you want to react that's again you can apply this principle so it's a very small piece of the puzzle but because it's small I would say don't disregard it and that's no and it's been one of the most powerful learnings I think I've had like in the last sort of year or so is um is that idea of a micro pause and just exactly as you're you were saying like uh you know someone let's just say a partner for example has said something that's that's gonna what like you know like our loved ones do they're very capable of pushing a buttons right so instead of having that moment where you're like instead of not thinking and just reacting if you take a pause and you just think okay well what's the outcome I'm hoping for here and what will my action probably produce and it's like well I can shout at them but is that going to get the reaction I want probably not or if I can just walk away or if I can say that's not really helpful it just you you will never regret taking that mm. pause I don't think mm. um and just yeah and just thinking thinking it through and and you know I think when it even when it for me like if I'm out you know food shopping grocery shopping whatever and I'm like oh that new like I don't know let's just for example say okay I really like manchego flavored crisps this is like true story um and there's a couple of places you can get them and sometimes I will buy them but then sometimes I'm like mm, do I really want them or am I just like bored or am I using it as an excuse to eat when I'm bored and then so sometimes I just won't and mm. it's just having that micro pause is so so valuable in in so many areas of life like it's definitely been one of the most powerful things I think I've learned in the last couple of years for sure mm. I, I I echo that and uh, in a on a personal note I was in a um, more emotionally charged situation uh, recently and mind you guys I wouldn't be able to do this if it was me five years ago but this is me today with mm-hmm. you know the knowledge and the therapy that I've done and um, I was able, because of the practice, to put a thought stop and to just take a moment, breathe, and before reacting in any sort of way, I just asked myself, what will be helpful? Yep. I didn't didn't ask anything else of, you know, should I hurt them back or should I react like this? And it wasn't whether or not it will make me feel better. My question to myself was, what would be helpful? Yeah. And it was just, 
what will be helpful in my response? How will I feel more, must, you know, the best is with that helpfulness? How will it affect me today, as in on the spot when I was in this situation? And also, how will it make me feel tomorrow and yep. the day after? And it's the same principle I apply to food now. Um, and I was just saying at the beginning of this episode that I had my little journey with food because food and I, we are so interlinked, <laughs> but I didn't know we were interlinked until I started this in interrogation of myself. And then I realized that predominantly I eat when I'm bored or procrastinating. And because I was putting off some tasks this week, <laughs> uh, it's laughable now. I was just like, ah, maybe have a snack. Ah, maybe have some soup. I'm, I'm not so much as a, a sweet um, a tooth type of person. So I don't really turn to cakes and chocolate. Mm. Luckily for me, I don't go out of my house to buy them. So these days that I was telling you about my, uh, you know, eating due to procrastination, I didn't go out of my way to buy food. But I overindulged on the things that I had in the house. Yeah. So instead of having one portion of food as a human, normal human should have, I was like having three. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was feeling really crappy, not guilty mm -hmm. because I, yeah, not guilty, not shame. But my body was like, what the hell? What the hell did you just give me? Why did you eat so much? Mm. And I think that's, yeah, another lesson for me was once I realized the uncomfortableness of overeating, I was thinking, oh, definitely I overdone it. And that was my wake-up call. No, thanks for sharing. Like, yeah, I mean, with me, it's definitely chocolate. It's like my comfort food of choice. Like, that's the one I'll always go to. Uh, I mean, even now, even though I try will almost always eat sort of dark chocolate at least 70% which is better um you know I realized I was like mm, yeah I'm relying on it more than I'm comfortable with so I just decided to do an experiment and see if I could go I mean it's a bit it, you don't have to be this extreme but I I know me and I know if it's in the house I'm gonna want to eat it so just stop buying it yes exactly That's what I, I did very good because I do the same thing I don't buy it <laughs> I just don't buy it yeah so, and actually, like, it was, like, I looked at my grocery bill and it's a lot less. And I was like, well, not a lot less because I wasn't buying that much, but it was less. And I was like, oh, this is the benefit of not buying it every single time. That doesn't mean I won't have it if it's offered or, like, if it's around. But just in terms of, like, quote, unquote, needing it to uh, feel rewarded, it's mm. like, just just take it out like and just just experiment see what happens like it's not that I'm gonna I'm banning chocolate for the rest of my life like no life would be terrible if I did that mm. for me mm. but it's just experimenting to see if I can modify my relationship with chocolate and surprisingly I'm finding it easier than I thought I would that's really well thank you yeah. for sharing that's that yeah that's that's what it is guys you have to become the best detective at yourself because you would you would realize things and we we've all been there we've all learned more or less what it means to have a healthy diet and we kind of maybe some of us better than others understand what we should be having what we shouldn't be having or what we should be avoiding or having less quantity of but i think when we are interrogating and investigating we will also realize that we might turn to food or to larger quantities of food because we might be skipping meals or we might not be, um, you know, fulfilling our nutrient need. 
to the extent that it needs to be for our body. And correct me, Mira, if I'm wrong, but what I've learned uh, is that your body needs nutrients, right, to function. Mm -hmm. We need carbs, we need energy, we need all of this. We need vitamins and so on and so forth. And if we decide, for whatever strange reason, to no longer ever, ever need, eat carbs and we're cutting off entire food groups and we are just, I don't know, eating steak forever, your body might still be like, okay, I've just ate, fine, thank you for the protein, but... I'm still lacking something and it will mm. kind of feel like you're still not full and you would still be trying to get something else. Maybe you will turn to cake because you thought, okay, I've had steak, now I'll have dessert. And your body's still like, okay, thank you, you've gave me something, but where are my nutrients? Yeah, I mean, it's it's entirely possible to still feel like you're craving certain things um, because you are potentially lacking in nutrients. I think I think carbs is a really interesting one because they've been so successfully demonized and it and nutritional science guys is far more complicated than you would imagine um and for a very small subsection of the population in certain in certain situations there may be an argument for limiting carbohydrates but for the vast majority of us it's not necessary and necessarily healthful to do that you know, for example, the Atkins diet was touted to be really, really healthy, which was very low carbohydrate, high protein slash fat. But then, you know, since like no nutritionist that I know would recommend it now um, as a diet geared towards health. Um, and that's because you're relying on a lot of um, unhealthy fats uh, as, as one of your sources of fuel, which just does no favors for your body whatsoever. And yeah, so what I would say is is kind of that and what I also wanted to say going back to a point that you had made you know very just a couple of seconds ago about you know we've all been there we have and let me tell you I am a nutritionist who is friends with other nutritionists we will all have days when we are less on top of our diet game or you know we're having a hard day and we go for a brownie like the <laughs> Even as nutritionists, I know a lot of nutritionists who do that. I am a nutritionist. I have done that and will do that. So please don't sit there thinking that it's only you that feels that struggle, that pull and that struggle. It, you know, even paid professionals do too, whose yeah. who's lifeblood it is. And there will be some nutritionists out there who probably never do that. And, you know, great for them. But, you know, that's not where the majority of us lie. Hmm. I think it all comes down to maybe... Um, no, no, scrap that. It doesn't come down to something. We are all individuals and my chemicals in my body, the way they get triggered and the way I function are not, I'm not saying they're completely different than yours because we are, you know, at a molecular level, we are built in the same way. But what I get genetics in me from my parents, ancestors, my, it's very different maybe from what you or the listeners mm -hmm. have and the way our brains are wired or our lacks of vitamins and minerals. Where we've been, the way we've been brought up. Exactly. Yeah. Culture, environment, uh, where we are in our relationships, how connected we feel to other people versus how lonely we feel. All of this come into play. So that's why I wanted to say it's not like it all comes down to, no, all of these come into play when we are thinking about our relationships with with food. And maybe, as you say, some people don't have a quote-unquote naughty 
day. But majority of us at some point do. Yep. <laughs> and what takes us out of it and what makes us more consistent than others in this field is the fact that we know how to support our own success. Mm-hmm. And it comes down to a previous episode with Andrea where we were say, talking about, you know, setting ourselves up for success via a system of habits. And it links very nicely into what Mira and I want to share with you today, guys, as uh, tips and tricks that, you know, we found helpful and we've researched or we've read the research for it. And just to give you some pointers, if you are thinking your relationship with food is not the one you would like to have, or if you want to slightly alter it or visit it, I would say eat slowly. That's my number one tip. <laughs> Whatever it is, if it's, it doesn't matter if it's a steak, an ice cream, a salad, a piece of avocado, whatever it is, don't rush it. That's my number one tip. And my number two is eat as varied as you can possibly imagine. I know some people don't like certain foods and they don't like vegetables or they don't like proteins or they're vegetarian or pescatarian or whatever it is, just diversify as much as you can within your, you know, type of, uh, of um, journey with food. For me personally, the more veggies, the better, not because I'm vegetarian, but because I am not the biggest lover of meat. Yes, I love chicken and fish and you know um shellfish luckily i'm not allergic that would be a pity for me and also you know seafood stuff and i try to diversify obviously i can't always eat octopus and i can't always eat i don't know my my mom's homemade potato stew but i diversify (laughs) oh i love it i love it it's the recipe that we all side note we all tried in the family to repeat her recipe word by word With her her on the phone, it tastes good, but it doesn't taste like hers. Oh, bless. Yeah, it's funny. Well, I don't know. Does your mom ever measure anything out? Never. Never. It's from the eye. (laughs) She says it's from the eye. It's it's the same with my mom, because, you know, I'm from an Indian background. And and if you ask my mom, okay, but how how much, like, turmeric did you put in? She'll tell you this much. She'll give you (laughs) that. And I'm like, that means nothing. It's yeah. absolutely nothing, but it astounds me that it comes out the exact same every single time she makes it. So I've got no hope of replicating her cooking um, no. as much as I might try. But same, same. I remember to this day the first time I made um, a soup. Um, I'm Eastern European. I, I was born in Eastern Europe in Romania, but it's a soup that other people have it. I've discovered over the years. So it's basically it looks like a matzo soup. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we call it completely different. Anyway, it's a very simple vegetable type soup with some dumplings. Dumplings, nice. And I called and I did this recipe. I was 14 years old with my phone, you know, with my mom on the other line. I knew how to chop vegetables and everything else. So that wasn't difficult. But she was like, okay, now you make the dumplings. And I said, okay, how much do I put of this and this? And how much egg? One, two. But decide, woman, one or two. Depends on the big size of your pot. How big is your pot? I was looking at it. I had no idea. It's a pot. <laughs> it's a pot of soup. Is it a two liter or a five? I was like, okay, this is not going to work. So just yeah, tell me like the average. Anyway, yeah. 
she gave me those uh, tips and then she said, and now you put the flower. How much flower? From the eye. <laughs> oh, for God's sake. Yeah. And I, was, yeah. <laughs> I was like, you know, batting the, I was mixing the eggs. And then she says, well, depends how much um, you put in because it turns into a past. And I said, well, does it have to be thick or runny? <laughs> and she was from the eyes. So in the end, they worked out and I still have that, uh, you know, I replicate that recipe and it, it, it's a good one and I'm, I'm quite happy to make it. But it's That's just so magic. It's just magical. Women yeah. cooking is magical. Really is. Yeah. It really, really is. Yeah. And just coming back to 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 that uh, piece that I was I was just finishing off my idea and I'm, I'm I let Mira give you her top tips. I would just say guys, eat slowly and diversify, diversify, diversify. Put as much of, you know, food and different types of food and different groups and and just see what happens. Don't restrict yourself. I, I, that's number three. Sorry, last one, Mira. That's don't okay. Don't restrict yourself. Um, okay, so what are mine? I think mine are take that micro moment and pause and think, why is it you feel like you want to eat? It's not that it's wrong to eat. It's just ask yourself why. Um, if it's like, why, well, you know, if it's like, I'm not actually hungry, but I'm feeling like I, I want to eat then see if there's potentially something else you could do drinking water can be really helpful just for resetting your appetite maybe just go for you know if you're if you're tempted to for example to have a scoop of ice cream or whatever it is think okay well can I have a piece of fruit instead see if you can make a swap just for a healthier alternative and uh and you know, find things that you enjoy that aren't necessarily food related. So like I said, if it's that you need to stretch your legs, go out and spend five minutes in the garden soaking up some of this incredible sunshine. Although I appreciate when we probably release this, it'll be much colder. But see if you can go out, pet your dog, call your mum for five minutes and ask her about a, a recipe or whatever it might be. See if you can just replace it. It doesn't mean that you don't act on the desire to do something, but just see if you can replace it with a healthy alternative. And there are ways that you can tap into your dopamine reward system without it necessarily being food specific. So, I mean, obviously I don't encourage replacing eating certain foods with shopping, but maybe it's like, you know, I don't know, going online and having a look at a few online shops or like maybe it's like buying something from your Amazon wish list or it can be taking a cold shower. That's been known to increase dopamine. Um, find there are other ways and um, we can always, if it's of interest, I can link in a few more below and I probably will. Um, huh? But there are definitely other natural ways that you can tap into dopamine without it being uh, specific to food. Exercise also increases dopamine as well. So, so go outside for a, for a 15 minute walk and yep. get some fresh air. Um, all of these things can be really helpful. Um, and okay, so what have I said? I've said uh, micro moment of pause, see if you can make a healthy swap and find other ways yet yeah, of increasing dopamine. Those are probably my top three. Um, yeah, and then I completely echo what Denise was saying about diversity. It's such such an important integral part of eating well for your brain because it helps to provide, it gives you all different nutrients by balancing out, um, you know, your intake across a lot of food groups. It means that you're not overdoing it on one and underdoing it on another. Naturally, you're kind of getting a bit of a better balance. Um, 
And also it's really important for your gut bacteria, which is massively important for your brain health too. So that's why like diversity is, is really, really, really crucial as well. Um, sorry, my last other tips, make sure you're sleeping enough. Um, because if you're tired, you are going to want to snack more. You will want more sugar. You will want more caffeine and it's a vicious cycle. And also if you can manage your stress levels, because again, that can cause um, appetite to, to either go up or down. Most typically what I find with clients is it will go up. Um, so yeah, so, so sorry, that's three, that's turned into five tips, but those are my <laughs> top ones for you. It's absolutely fine. You've, you've sprinkled the last two, which I wanted to mention anyway. Sleep is, yeah. It's not a, a luxury. It's something no. that we, we need biologically. Necessity, yeah, it's vital to survival. Absolutely. And, and on stress, you, you probably know from a previous episode, but my whole journey into, into therapy, into cognitive behavioral uh, hypnotherapy and everything else started because of, a, a, you know, too much of cortisol that was <laughs> going haywire with everything and affecting my weight and so on. Um, the last one, the very last one uh, that uh, came to my mind and I said it's too important to miss out is connectedness. Sometimes we eat because we are lonely or we think we are lonely or we think that we need to go through something by ourselves and then we forget that we are yeah. so connected to other humans and if you find yourself feeling lonely at any point, just reach out to somebody close to your heart and uh, that also can you know help as Mira was saying call your mom call a family member when you're thinking of eating and you think you are not really hungry but just eating just because yes that's everything for today hopefully it's ho it brings a little bit more you know um, peacefulness to you and you understand that you're not alone in this journey and that food is so interlinked to emotions and emotions are dictating other things in ourselves and there is a, a way to make sure you're in balance with yourself and that's what both of us we are advocating is balance totally totally exactly thank you so much Mira for having this chat with me today and thank you guys for listening it's been a pleasure and I hope you take some useful tips out of this and give us a follow show us some love you know, share it with other people. We are still at the beginning of this uh, first season of, uh, of the Joyful Balance podcast. And we look forward to seeing you soon again. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye.